powerful hand. Bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed us till we want no more. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise in that mighty and that matchless name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise and welcome all our people that are in the building and online. Glad to see you guys. Uh, as I said, it is a wonderful thing. Uh, the city, a good portion of the city has been without power for several days, but the power came on in time for Bible study, and we are eternally grateful for that. Uh, for those of you who are online and watching online, we like you. Uh, if you could, uh, help us out and help us get the message forth. If you could stop and hit the like or subscribe button wherever you are, uh, and the share button to share this broadcast to help people all around uh, the country and all around the world. Um, guys, we're in Genesis chapter 38. For those of you uh, who get um, emails, your email should be to you. Uh, Genesis chapter 38. If you don't have email uh, or you're not having um, the study notes and the study questions emailed to you, you can also get them. They're in the descriptions wherever you are and wherever you're podcasting. You can go to uh, encounter360.org or you can go to WB Ministries. Uh, org as well and be able to get those notes in real time so you can study with us. You guys ready? All right, we're going to start Genesis chapter 38. It is a very, very interesting uh, lesson. We're just going to start and we're going to start at cha uh, chapter 38 verse 1 and we're going to read a little bit and then we'll stop and go through some of the questions. We're going to read down to about verse to about verse 19. We'll, uh, we'll go on down. So let's read together. If you're online, make sure you read with us. It's, it's lovely to be able to read God's word together. Ready? And let's read. It happened at that time that Judah went down from his brothers and turned aside to a certain Adulamite whose name was Hera. There Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. He took her and went into her and she conceived and bore a son. And he called the name Er. She conceived again and bore a son, and she called his name Onan. Yet again she bore a son, and she called his name Shelah. Judah was in Shazib when she bore him. And Judah took a wife for, for Er, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Er, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to Onan, Go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as not to give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and he put him to death also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, remain a widow in your father's house till Shelah, my son, grows up. For he feared that he would die like his brothers. So Tamar went and remained in her father's house. In the course of time, the wife of Judah, Shua's daughter, died. When Judah was comforted, he went up to Timnah to his sheep shearers, he and his friend Herod the Adonlamite. And when Tamar was told, your father-in-law is going up to Timnah to, hear, to shear the sheep, she took off her widow's garments and covered herself with a veil, wrapping herself up, and sat at the entrance of Enaim, which is on the roof. Oh, I'm sorry, road to Timnah. For she saw that Shelah was grown up, and she had not been given him in marriage. 
When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. He turned to her at the roadside and said, Come, let me come in to you. For he did not know that she was his daughter-in-law. She said, What will you give me that you may come into me? He answered, I will send you a young goat from the flock. And she said, If you give me a pledge until you send it. He said, What pledge shall I give you? He replied, Your signet, your cord, and your staff that is in your hand. So he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. Then she arose and went away, taking off her veil, and she put the garments of her widowhood, put back on the garments of her widowhood. We're going to stop right there. That's, that's enough right there. That, that's mighty interesting, isn't it? <laughs> that, that's, that's really wild. We see first that Judah has left his brothers. He's left the land that he's supposed to be in, the land of his brothers. He's gotten away from um, some of the traditions of his family. Uh, that's why, and this is an aside, I'll start right out of the gate. It's good to have a group for accountability, isn't it? It's good to have somebody around you that's of the same uh, cultural standards and norms somewhat. Of course, you're going to be around people who are of different cultural standards and norms. But it's always somebody, if you have standards and principles around, to be able to keep those people around you. Because we saw from Genesis 28 and 1, when Abraham got ready to pick a child, a wife for Isaac, what did he not want? He did not want a woman from where? From the neighboring tribes in the land of, it starts with a C. Anybody know what it is? Canaanites. He did not want a Canaanite wife for his son. And one of the reasons was not just necessarily because of the race, but because of the culture of the people. They were idolatrous people. They were wicked people. Uh, they didn't hold to godly values. And so Abraham did not want a child for his son from there. And so you would think that as the promised seed is going down, they would adhere to that, make sure that they, they keep with godly people in their lineage or at least people in their tribe that God has ordained. Uh, the Bible puts it this way nowadays, and be ye not unequally yoked with unbelievers. That goes further than just marriage. That goes to friendships. Um, that goes to all sorts of parts of our daily life. That does not mean we don't interact with the unbelievers and that we don't have good conversations uh, with uh, unbelievers. But to be yoked means to attach to someone, to be closely attached and bound. If you're yoked to somebody, whenever they move, guess what? You move because you are bound together. So that word yoked indicates an attachment, a close attachment. And so he's gotten away from accountability. He's gotten away from his family. And the first thing he does, verse two says, Judah saw the daughter of a certain Canaanite woman. And he marries this woman and has three children by her, um, which he's not supposed to do um, because he's not supposed to marry a woman from where? Canaan. But he obviously doesn't really care for protocol, doesn't care for the culture of his family. He, he, he's, he's fleshly. He buys what he wants. He, he goes where he wants, and he does what he wants. He's not doing something that will make his parents proud. He's doing what he would want to do. And so from this, three children are born, and um, we see that as they are born, he begins to give them in marriage. And somebody would say, well, why is the topic Black Widow? Um, that topic, Black Widow, is a funny one because most times that's either given to a spider 
or to a lady who buries a bunch of husbands. <laughs> One of the two. And in this instance, uh, we see that Tamar is in the business of burying husbands, isn't she? <laughs> and so that's where that comes. Brother Dave laughs. That's some humor. All of you are laughing. That's, I wanted some humor to keep you alive and keep you awake. But, but th in this instance, it seems to them that she is a black widow because he's given her, he's, uh, Judah has given uh, his son to Tamar or Tamar to him. This is supposed to be a gift, but Er uh, is Judah's firstborn son, and the Bible says he was wicked in the sight of the Lord, so the Lord put him to death. And so as is the custom of the family, we see this psalm in Ruth with the kinsman redeemer that the next of kin uh, is supposed to redeem family members who are widowed, take them into their household to make sure that they can have an heir to produce and take care of the family. And so he does what's right the first time. Everybody says the first time. He gives uh, her his son, Onan. And Onan does something that um, we have not seen. Onan goes in and his job is to conceive a child uh, with uh, Tamar. Now, we all know, all of us in this room are adults, kids, churches downstairs, but we know how that happens. Uh, we've got a pretty good idea, and if you haven't, uh, it's too late for you. Uh, but at, <laughs> you'll never learn. But at this point, um, he does something that's wicked in the sight of the Lord. What does he do? No, 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 no. It, very close, very close. He does. Uh, that's coming up. Um, but Onan takes Tamar who he's supposed to sleep with to impregnate because the custom says if my brother dies in that culture, women can't take care of themselves. You need a man to take care of the household. So you need a male heir to take care of them. So he is supposed to give her a what child and he goes into her and he, he has relations with her. However, when it's time to produce a seed, he makes sure that that's not going to happen. He, he does a quick little trick to make sure that he can keep going into her and he can get the pleasure of trying to make the child, but he negates the responsibility of creating it. Why? Because it's not his child and he doesn't get the benefit. So question number one says, verse number eight, verse eight says, Onan was willing to take part in the pleasure of making a family. However, he did not the want the responsibility that came with it. Does that seem like a culture uh, that we've been familiar with? How everybody wants the pleasure to do things that create children, but nobody wants responsibility uh, of either creating those children or those children being reared, and they do things to avoid having those children. So he wanted the pleasure. He didn't just say, you know what, I'm not going to do this because uh, I don't feel like doing it. The baby's not going to be mine. But he went into her and he got the benefit. But, but then he walked away selfishly and didn't leave her with anything because it didn't benefit him. He did what he wanted and he walked away. And God said, that's wicked. You are using her body for your physical pleasure and your benefit. And you are leaving her uncared for and destitute. He did not want the responsibility. So the first question says, how is this applicable? to our cultural values today. Can anybody tell me how? Okay, that's a good one. He said, Brother Bob said cohabitation, getting all the benefits of, of, of a married couple and, and, and having all the fun of a married couple, but not taking on the responsibility and going ahead and getting married and rearing children the way that God has called you to real children. That's one, cohabitation. 
or um, anybody else have anything? Abortion. Uh, abortion could be one of those. You're getting the pleasure in some instances. Now, for those who are who are real hot button on this issue, we understand there's the asterisks and all that. But for the most part, 99% of the time, what it, it's generally you want to have your pleasure, but you don't want to take responsibility um, for for your actions. Um, it's only your choice after you've made your choice. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> you've already made a choice, and that choice produced something that you didn't want. And so that's another one. We got cohabitation. We got abortion. Hands raised all over the building tonight. All right. Okay. Um, they chose to do that vasectomies. That's a, that's an iffy one. That's an iffy one because in that instance, uh, sometimes in family planning, that could be that that's something we need to look at. We need to think about uh, or, or birth control, different extreme forms of birth control, like vasectomies and, and hysterectomies, well, not hysterectomies, that's medically necessary most times, uh, or getting tubes tied. We'll have to look at that. We'll look into that deeper. That's a good thought. You brought up a good thought uh, for that. Um, but in these instances, most times when that's happening, uh, sometimes that's happening between consenting married par parents, and they've decided maybe sometimes for health reasons that, that they're not doing that. But that's a good, that's a good observation. What else? That's, that is a question, how people will get together and they'll say, we don't want children because the world is bad and we don't want to bring children into the world, but yet they don't ever make any effort to take themselves out of this wicked world. <laughs> that they enjoy the pleasure of the wicked world that they say is too wicked to bring children into, but yet they don't, they don't bring children into it. Now, parents, that's a personal issue with how many children you have and what you guys talk about and what you pray about and what the Lord says and things like that. But those are issues. Why? Because the central issue is you're wanting to get all the pleasure with none of the what? Responsibility. And so how does God view that? He views that as wickedness. Obviously, he doesn't view it too good because uh, he killed him. <laughs> he killed him because what he did was wicked. And you say, well, God didn't kill him. It's right here in the text. He says he went into her uh, and um, when he went into her, uh, he decided that he wasn't going to do the right thing. Uh, it says that he says, go into your brother's wife and perform the duty of a brother-in-law to her. And, 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 uh, that's, that phrase, when you read it, it sounds really weird unless you know what's in, uh, know it in context, do the duty of a brother-in-law to her and raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the offspring would not be his. So whenever he went into his brother's wife, he would waste the semen on the ground so as to not give offspring to his brother. And what he did was wicked in the sight of the Lord. And he, who is he? Put him to death also. So these are two of Judah's children that, that God has put what? To death. He's put two children to death because of wickedness and bad choices. Um, they've been reared, but they haven't necessarily been reared in the best way. So now um, Judah decides to lie to Tamar. He knows very well he has no intention because in his mind, Tamar is the black widow. And he is not going to give his third son from his wife of the Canaanite woman who he wasn't supposed to marry in the first place. 
away, he's got a prized possession. So he says, wait until my son gets older, and then I'll call for you. Go back to your father's house right now. But he never intends to do that. And because, verse uh, number two says, verse 14, Judah had failed to do the honorable thing, and it uh, and it's about to come back to haunt him. How important is it to keep your word? Very important. Somebody... Somebody tell me why it's important to keep your word. If you promise somebody something and you don't do it and it's something very important to them, you may not be aware of it, but you very well may have somebody or an enemy gunning for you. You've forgotten that you've done them wrong. And that, but you told them, if you give me $5, I promise I'll pay it back. And then you said, oh, it's only $5 and you never paid it back. And now that's a big thing to them. And, and a small thing to you, and this may be hyperbole, but they may see you coming across the street while they're driving and decide not to slow down. Uh, that'd be a little extreme for $5, but the, prop, the, the, the crux of the matter is that if you don't keep your word, so we see this family, although Judah's going to carry the promised seed, he's had two sons that don't honor God, and now he's lying in his mind to protect the third. Mm. So we see some things that aren't going very well, don't we? So uh, question three says, Judah blames Tamar for his son's death, but it was the wickedness of his sons that was the problem. See, Judah had raised wicked and selfish sons. How easy is it to shift blame to others for our situation rather than look at ourselves? When his sons begin to die, not for one second did Judah say, what have I done? I raised wicked children, and now my sons are gone, and God's taken them. He immediately blames somebody what? Else. We don't do that in the church as Christian people do. We don't blame other people or our spouses for our hangups and our issues, do we? You, you mess up and get a ticket and you look over at your spouse and say, if you hadn't been talking to me, I wouldn't have been speeding or whatever, uh, whatever the case was. Or, or you mess up and burn some food and you said, if you left me alone, I'd be concentrating. And we, we, we're not those type of people, are we, where we, instead of looking introspectively at ourselves and growing so God can help us, that we blame our hangups and our faults on other people. Anybody else in here ever done that? I see one one honest person right down there. Huh? Ah, he said he ran into the back of a car and he blamed his sister for it. And see, we always do that. We've been doing that since the beginning of time. You know how I know? It's in our DNA. It is inextricably linked to our DNA. You know why? Who told you you were naked? Did you eat of this tree? Yeah, this woman. It's your fault, God. We still see this sin nature showing up, don't we? The woman that you gave me gave this to me, and I ate it. Yeah, I ate it, but if she hadn't been here and you hadn't put her here, and then had you not put this tree here that was good for food and to make one wise, I would have never ate it. It's your fault, God. It's your fault because you gave it to me. But Adam, I said, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So you didn't mind getting all the pleasure, but... You just negated to take responsibility. Uh-oh. Do we see a recurring theme? 
You don't mind being fruitful and multiplying, but you don't want to take care of. When the lights went out this week, I, I spent a lot of time. I took a day off work, and, and we fitted the house for a generator and all those things. And I worked, and I didn't get lunch. And, and I wanted my children to see something. They came to me, and they said, Daddy, you need to stop working. All you've done is work, work, work. Uh, and, and do these things. You need to take some rest. And I looked at my daughters and I said, let this be a lesson to you that I am your father. And as the man of this house, it's my job, no matter how uncomfortable or tired I am, it's my responsibility to take care of you. And when you get ready to find a husband, don't find a weak need man. Find somebody that's going to have some responsibility because manhood is steep in responsibility. Everybody say responsibility. <laughs> manhood has nothing to do with the size of your bank account or, or your car or your job or the size of your house or how many muscles you have. Manhood has to do with you stepping up and taking responsibility. Adam abdicated his role as a man. Why? Because he refused to take responsibility for his action. 